0: Hello. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz and I am Chip Chantry. Chip, we have uh, after a long absence, we we have Kahuna back in the fold.
1: Yeah, I know. Kahuna, been, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's been a couple episodes.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I have
1: been keeping up. I'm proud of you guys
0: ever, ever, ever since he uh, ever since he got that part in Clerks three, he's been he's been too big for us Too <laughs> big for us. He's gone Hollywood
2: <laughs> uh, and, and, and
0: uh, speaking of going
2: Hollywood. Kahuna, can you remind me and all the listeners, what's the name of your Christmas album? Again, I have it on my iPhone, but I want to make sure everybody has it before the holidays get. In, get in get The Key, key of
1: Christmas by Christian Cortez. Check it out.
0: Um, we have we have a guest today, Chip, that I am unbelievably excited. Super to, excited about uh, yeah. to talk to. Um, so let's just let's jump right into it. So our guest today, uh, is a drummer he he was in little richards band uh he's he's played with eric burden he's recorded with george harrison elton john stevie wonder ron wood Uh, i'm sure there's i'm sure there's many more i'm missing but uh withers yeah welcome alvin taylor to the show
1: very happy to be here thank you
0: we're very happy to have you um so I was just reading, let's just uh right off the bat. So you're you were thirteen or fourteen years old when you joined Little Richard's band?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And um the story goes, you tell me maybe I have this wrong, but you were you were a, a busboy in a hotel, and they occasionally yeah. let you fill in on drums for the band like the hotel house band, because the, the drummer for the band sometimes was too drunk to play, so you would fill in for him. And one night you're filling in,
1: and uh, who, who walks in the room? Well, uh, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and Little Richard, and Billy Preston, all at the same time sitting at the front row table. Oh,
0: my God. And, do you, so, at, and, and at, so at 13, do you even know who all these people are?
1: Well, I know, of course, who Frank Sinatra Mm -hmm. and Sammy Davis Jr. were because they actually lived in uh, the town uh, of Palm Springs where I was born and raised and where I was working at the Biltmore Hotel at the time. I didn't have any idea who Little Richard was, and I didn't know who Billy Preston was.
0: And Little Richard sees you playing drums at 13 and start screaming that he wants you in his band right yeah um
2: and, and and roughly what what year is this like what what year would this be
1: uh I don't know the exact year exactly but yeah have been somewhere 67 60 okay 66 67 68. okay yeah there.
0: And um, when little Richard tells you he wants you in his band, do you do you think he's? I mean, do you think he's serious? Do you believe him? Is, is he pulling your leg? Do you think? I
1: I don't even know what he's talking about. Band of <laughs> Indians or what? You know, I you know I I grew up in a town where you know the native Indians are pretty much um, the uh, yeah. It was kind of interesting because. Richard's wearing this headdress and he's got uh, this, this bandana on with all these uh, feathers and stuff hanging. So I'm thinking maybe he's a, a local Indian chief. I don't know. Uh, it's like wants me to be in a band, band of Indians or what. So I, I had no idea who Little Richard was. And um, when he uh, asked me for my mom's phone number, um I was able to find out then because my mom was like, you know, hey, he's, he's a king of rock and roll. And it's like even though Elvis Presley was called the king, and little Richard. I don't I was kind of um always thought that little Richard was the king of rock and roll. So that's how I found out later.
0: And then little Richard calls your house to speak to your mom <laughs> to ask permission for you to join his band. And
1: uh, your mom says no? Absolutely. Under those circumstances, uh, yeah. I could not play with Richard. And, um, you know, Richard not wanting to be outdone, asked his manager Bumps Blackwell to uh, put in a call to my mom to speak with my mom to find out what her concerns were. And, of course, you know, here I'm her little baby. I haven't even finished school yet. And so she wants me to finish school and, she uh, gives uh, Bumps Blackwell all of the major reasons that I, you know, shouldn't be allowed to go out and play. And of course he was able to, to uh, have a rebuttal for each one of those um, uh, reasons that I shouldn't go. Um, so I ended up, you know, doing it anyway. I guess uh, it was an interesting thing because, uh, uh, Mom was like, you know what, hey, you're too young for this kind of stuff to be going out and doing this. And, you know, uh, Richard's like, you know, hey, he's should be a great drummer for me, you know? And uh, so I guess uh, Bumps Blackwell was a real great negotiator because he got right down to the bottom of what was the cause, you know? What's the reason that, it, you know, wanted to go out? And so he just like, hey, you know, well, we're going to have a an joining suite for him. Uh, they'll take care of the age thing. He'll be with bodyguards. He won't. Uh, he'll be on first class for Little Richard. He won't be on the bus with the rest of the guys. And you know, as far as a um, weird lifestyle and doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And and by the way, he'll be getting uh, uh, x amount of these amount of dollars. And I guess my mom was like, huh? <laughs> I said, what? Well, huh? Okay, uh, when do I help him pack? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that the I, next thing I you know, um, you know, we're we earning more money than than uh, we're paying in in mortgage payments or whatever. So, next thing I know, I'm on the road uh, playing with Little Richard, touring, uh, opening up the show for Elvis Presley at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So, and my life and career thus. Uh, begun had started at that time
2: yeah Now, were you were you inti- you know you're going from being a bus boy to you're playing vegas with little richard opening for elvis are you are you intimidated by this or is this are you almost too young just to like
1: hey i'm just playing drums no i thought that they should have been intimidated by it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i love that <laughs> answer Yep. you know Hey, here I am. You want to give me a shot at doing this? You know, at this such a young age, man. You guys are nuts, but that's okay. Let's go ahead and do it because I can handle this. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I can do my part. Will you continue to do your part? As long as you do yours, I'll do mine. That's
2: that's incredible. And did
1: did do you
2: know or did did Little Richard ever tell you like what about your drumming? You know, obviously very talented, but like, was there something specific that he heard or that he saw that was like that's that's the style that I need or that's that's what I need
1: well yeah <laughs> I didn't quite know exactly what it meant but uh little Richard said "Ooh, honey when I saw you play them drums and when I heard you played him drums for the first time he said oh my big toe just shot straight up in my boots
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I went white lady he said, but I'll tell you, I ain't seen nothing like that i making Georgia. And I was That's- like, making Georgia? I, I didn't know anything about making Georgia or Georgia or anything. I mean, it was just kind of strange that Richard would, you know, talk about his big toe toe shooting straight up in his boots and him screaming like a white lady. And I guess that was just his way of saying he was really excited about me playing drums and that I hit the spot, and I guess the spot for him was his big toe baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what i you know what I love about
0: this story it's it's you hear so many um you hear so many stories of uh hollywood or or um the music industry really not taking care of kids who who go to work, but it sounds like little Richard really did want to make sure that you were well taken care of and safe on the road uh i mean
1: absolutely amazing and i mean you know and mind it i mean i heard a lot of rumors and a lot of not real real bad stuff but stuff that wasn't too good back in that day mm-hmm. about richard and um and i don't know maybe it was all true maybe it wasn't but the bottom line he he never you know he never did anything that was inappropriate with me or uh, said anything or I didn't, you know, see a lot of bad things. Well, of course, I, I was my my uh, suite was an adjoining room next to his suite. So the doors were usually open. Um, and I guess whenever he needed to have private conversation, of course, the door was shut anyway. So, I mean, I never seen anything or heard anything that was inappropriate. It was just all normal for me, uh, growing up uh, nothing that, um, uh, uh, would, uh, cause any trauma in my life.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Cause you hear, you hear so many stories that go the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got, you got very lucky.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I guess you just really want me to make sure you had a good drummer.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's you can't you can't have you can't have a great band without a great drummer, right? True,
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: And um, you said you sort of kicked off your career opening for Elvis in Vegas, um, but also in your band at the time. Uh, in addition to, I, I think I read an eighteen-piece orchestra. Um, well, Billy Preston was in the band And also a young Jimi Hendrix
1: Yeah, uh, Jimmy James uh, really, We didn't know him As Jimi Hendrix that, where, I don't, where the Hendrix came from, I have no idea I guess that was his last name
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, But uh, We we just knew Jimmy James And uh, yeah, he was Jimmy James was our guitar player uh, Billy Preston Was playing organ And Little Richard was playing piano
2: I mean, that band right there, that's one of the greatest lineups you ever heard. Now, was what did you see something special in Jimi Hendrix before, like as he's playing with this band? Like, did he, did, did you, were you surprised by what he went on to do or, or did he have that?
1: Well, you know, I, he, Jimmy was already doing that stuff. So, I, I mean, I just didn't recognize him as Jimi Hendrix. Or I didn't know any anything about Jimi Hendrix. I, like I said, I only knew who Jimmy James was. Mm-hmm. And when somebody said, uh, "Hey, this new album, uh, you got to check this Jimi Hendrix out," and it's like, I kept hearing that and hearing and hearing it, and so I finally take a look at the album. Now I'm like, "They ain't no Jimmy James. That's Jimi Hendrix." I mean, I'm Jimmy "No Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. That's Jimmy James." I, I, like they, Jimmy Hendrix, who, What are they talking about? Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy James, you know? And so, uh, but I mean, I, I was quite young, so I didn't really know a lot about what was going on pretty much other than uh, having to be there to play drums. But apparently um, Jimmy had been around and had done a few things. He had worked with the Isaac brothers, James Brown, and I can Tina Turner and, um, um, the Isaac brothers. He'd been a few bands and it had been over to England and met a few people. Uh, um, had met uh, uh, Eric Burden, uh, who um, at the time was really not a very good business person. He's just too wrapped up into his music, uh, and his stage performance, and uh, trying to remember lyrics of songs. You know, so <laughs> that's that's a handful in and of itself. And so he's just so busy doing uh, Eric Burton uh, that he, didn't, he he couldn't do the business type of thing. So he uh, Eric introduced uh, Jimmy to Chaz Chandler, who was pretty much uh, the, the go-to guy for the animals and the bass player. And it was one heck of a businessman. And he did all the business stuff with animals. And so... Um, yeah. Um so Chaz pretty much kind of put um put a, a hedge of protection around Jimmy and you know got him working and you know got him hooked up with some with several other musicians and uh, got him going. But yeah, I mean I, I always saw some uniqueness. He was he was never ever just a regular normal like type of guitar player. I mean when Richard would enter the stage, you know, uh, on the left side. Jimmy would be entering the stage on the right side. You know, and the rest of the band would be there. And I'm like, oh, what makes this guy so special that he's got a stage like that?" Well, he's, I guess, at the time, you know, he's Jimmy James. You know, yeah. And that's that's you know, to me, was way more. To me, that was way more important than Jimi Hendrix. You know, it just as just as powerful. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And um when you're at did you op, did you open for elvis regularly or was it was it a one off every night oh wow so um did you did you interact with elvis at all oh yeah
1: absolutely every, every night yeah every night uh, he elvis would be in our dressing room before we even started to tune up or dress or any any of that. He would be there with several other guys. Uh, and there was there was, was two drummers, and uh, Elvis would, was excited about introducing both of his drummers to me, and I'd meet both of the drummers. Uh, one of them name was was Michael Beard. Uh, we call him Pooh Bear, yeah, and some people call him Teddy Bear. You know, um, and uh, so. Um, they would come and they would ask. Uh, he he would. Elvis would always call Richard. He would call him. He would, uh, would uh, um, announce, uh, "Hey King, is there something I can do for you? Is there anything you need? You need anything? Hey King, you need anything? Hey." It was always, "Hey King," you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of it was kind of confusing to me because I had always heard that Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll. But here Elvis Presley was calling him little Richard King. And I was wondering if that was because the king of rock and roll or just was Richard. Maybe Richard was a king of Africa somewhere that I didn't know about. I didn't know. I just he looked like a king. I mean, literally Mm -hmm. uh, the and 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 literally, I mean, we had Sheik, uh, Sheik of Iran. Uh, she, uh sheiks kings presidents uh you know president carter president i mean you name the presidents i, I, I think every president that there ever was probably uh had a the privilege uh and uh, the pleasure of being able to to meet uh, along with queens um just uh, various different countries and it was always the Anne Margaret and uh, geez, um, uh, Doris Day, uh, just the most famous actress and actors that you could meet. Uh, we're all backstage. I, mean, I met everybody. Bill Cosby. My oh goodness, everybody showed up to see Little Richard.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. And and now, um, how often how often are you going back home? In these days, like how how often are you back home seeing your mom
1: and your friends? Uh, Basically every three months, you know, and uh, so, but I didn't really stay out a long time uh, with Richard. It was three months at a time we would go out and uh, pretty much um, it was, it was about the length of any type of tour that we would go out for. It would be three months and then we'd be back home. You must have
0: been the coolest kid in your neighborhood when you came back home, right?
1: Well, what was so cool about it is that we, we kept it pretty much hush-hush. Oh, we really? Didn't, really? We didn't, we didn't let everybody know what was going on. You know? Um, yeah. And, and You know, I... I, I tell a few people uh, who were close to me and kind of tell them that, you know, trying to keep it. I didn't know how to say confidential. So I don't think it was a word yeah. that used at that time. You know, is, Hey, don't tell nobody. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> was, uh, was there a reason behind that? Were, were you, did you just want to, when you were home, did you just want to try and be as normal a kid as possible? Was was your mom worried about it? Because I'm just thinking, like, if it were me, I would have been knocking on strangers' doors, like, "Hey, guess who I play drums with? Hey, guess guess where I was last night? Hope you enjoy your dumb day job." I would I would have been te- I would have been terrible yep. about it. Um, yeah, me too. So I'm I'm curious what what the reasoning behind that was. Well,
1: um, I just uh, you know. I, I'm really not the kind of guy that liked to toot my own horn to begin with, number one. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons that I'm probably not one of the more popular drummers as far as naming um, a name behind a drummer is because I've, I've always just been so busy working. So I've not really had the privilege or the pleasure, nor even the desire to go out and promote myself and talk about who I play with. Um, I mean, I, I would have a lot of uh, opportunities uh, for for press, and uh, I turn it all down. I, I wouldn't, you know, like this show. I'm surprised I'm even um, at, a, at a later, at a latter age where I am now. It's like it's fun to talk about it and to tell people and to let people know uh, some of my experiences, some of the strength and some of the hope that I uh, I, I figured that I could help somebody as well. Um, but back in the day, it wasn't something that I really cared to, to discuss or talk about. I would, And then again, like I said, I was so busy working, I didn't have the time to really try to promote myself. So I've always had that kind of an attitude. That I didn't care about being famous or telling anybody about me working with anybody famous. And one of the reasons that they they would just label you a lunatic and not care anyway, you know. For the most, <laughs> yeah, it's like here, here I am like, um, Told somebody, hey, yeah, Frank Sinatra was in the club last night. Oh yeah, oh sure, yeah, right. Hey, uh, blah blah blah. Next thing you know, they're having another conversation. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Okay, kid. Yeah, <laughs> I, I whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, I, uh, it just became um, really uh, important for those who really only were genuinely sincere about, hey, Alvin, really honestly, tell me. What did you do last night? You know, what was what was going on? Come on, I know I I know something, man. And I heard a, I heard a little something, something, something. Come on, you know, you know. So yeah, yeah, you know, I was hanging out with Frank Sinatra, man. Hanging out with Frank Sinatra, yeah, yeah. So you know, amazing. So yeah, um, just um, I didn't go around advertising that uh, mm-hmm. and talking about it, but when Someone would talk to me about it and it seemed like a legitimate type of conversation and that it was, that they were going to believe that yeah. what I was credible and I'd go ahead and say it. But if I felt like they were going like, to ah, get out of here, kid, <laughs> why not? Even, why, why even talk about it? Why bother? Yeah.
2: Now you talk about working so much and, you know, we've had a bunch of musicians on, it's gotta be amazing. You know, Ken and I are both stand-up comedians. We're, we're performing live a lot. And, and obviously that's gotta be such a fun experience. I'm always surprised to hear when people really enjoy getting in the studio. Cause it sounds like it could be tedious. Is that something you enjoyed being in the studio or does that, does that, does that get old? Do you prefer live or, or the studio?
1: Well, I really, my, it's, it's it's a toss-up I, I i like entertaining uh period but when it comes to recording there's something special about recording that that to me is a job mm-hmm. <laughs> playing live is not a job you know that's like entertaining and it's okay entertaining is not a job you know but to, to, to go and make music and to shut the doors and you know you're recording you got the headset on I mean, hey man, that's that's working, you know. I, you're sitting there now with that that headset around your shoulder, and it's like, yeah, you're working, yeah, baby. I I, I can tell. As soon as that headset's off, then it's it's like, and you're standing. It's just like it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't appear to be to to me like you're working because you're having so much fun, and even though you are working your butt off,
0: yeah,
1: you're having a lot of fun. But there's a difference. Um. With that headset on, you're you know you're glued to uh, being focused and um, live. I mean, hey, focus for what? I mean, if I make a mistake, it's just a mistake that's made. It is too late. I can't correct it anyway. You know, I'm live. You know, so it's, it's, I'm here to do whatever it's going to do, but if I'm recording, I can stop the tape and I can go back and I can correct it. I can picture I can make it look like, well, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to sound like. And so there's, there's a, a difference between, uh, live and, um, and I enjoy both of them, but for me, the more serious, uh, of the two really for me is, is, uh, recording in the studio and which I took, uh, that to be more serious and and more of a, a job uh, related issue than just doing live stuff. I
0: I read in an interview uh, with, uh, I read in an old interview you did to that point where, where you said you were sometimes hesitant to take offers to go out on the road, because if a producer called looking for looking for a drummer uh, for studio work and you were on the road, they would just go to the next guy on the list and you didn't know when they would come looking for you again.
1: Yeah, well, that was a thing in the past. Back in the day when um, studio musicians, when their bread and butter was the studio, we had to be available. There was just one word, available. And we had four or five different um, answering machines or answer call companies that would answer our phones and answer all arland your girl uh, the hotline this or you know uh, when you call that uh answering service to get alvin taylor the drummer i better have my little beeper on uh back, back in the day we had these little. Uh, I, forgot the, I think they call them beepers Mm-hmm. It was, you know, as soon as uh, you call the company, they press a button and that thing would go up, beep, beep, beep. You call the answering service. Oh, you run real quick and you drop a dime, you know, and you, you, you make the phone call and, uh, and they say, hey, uh, we have so-and-so-and-so on, on the line or here's the phone number. You can call them. They're trying to inquire about a session. And so we... You know, we had to take care of business right then and there. And within 10 or 15 minutes, you weren't back to those people. They were going on to the next drummer. Because they had to have somebody right away and they had to make sure that their dates were set and that they had a good drummer. And so we had to be available. And uh, there was only a handful of drummers. And and, um, that's where I think they got the, first call, second call, third call. I don't necessarily think it's that the, the, the first call drummer was necessarily the very, very best of all the drummers because it depends. I mean, who you who you might think is the best, somebody else might think is the worst. Right. And some yeah. might think that the guy who you didn't name as being the best has the best. So, but I think it's <laughs> the guy who's the best, is a guy who gets a phone call who says, hey, I'm here. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, "It's also you're not, you're not necessarily it's not necessarily I would assume it's not going to be somebody's the best across the board. It's who's the best for this project for this artist. Who's the best fit?
1: Yeah, and and, the, and, and that's the, that guy is the guy who's got it who's got the gig. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we, we mentioned up front, we mentioned all of these, uh, like we, you know, I want to ask you about George Harrison, but I was, I was looking at your discography and, um, you played on a Ron Wood album, one, two, three, four, which, um, I don't know if most people even know that Ron Wood has had a solo career. Um, but I am, uh. I am a huge, I'm a huge fan of Ron Wood's solo work. Um, I love that album. I, uh, my, my uncle used to take me, my uncle would, would take me to a record store by where he lived. And uh, every time he would take me for a weekend, he would take me to get CDs and they sold imports at this one record. You couldn't get Ron Wood's solo albums uh, in the States you also couldn't get uh, Faces, you know, Rod Stewart and Ron Wood's old band. You couldn't get any of those albums. They didn't have American distribution, at, at least not when I, you know, like in the 80s or 90s when I was looking for them. And he would take me to a store that sold imports. And uh, I remember One, Two, Three, Four was the first Ron Wood solo album I was ever able to track down. And, um, it's, so that album holds it's, it's got a very special place in my heart. Uh, how, how did you, how do you end up connecting with Ron Wood? Is that through
1: Billy Preston? No, not at all. Um, a very good friend of mine. And and, and and I'm very grateful that I have a lot of uh, great drummers that are friends of mine, that we become friends and develop relationships and, most of the drummers that know me, they 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 know me uh, as a drumming ally. And Jim Keltner uh, is mm-hmm. a drumming ally of mine uh, and a very very good friend. Um, <laughs> I could probably say it. Go ahead and say it. We, we're like, hey, well, we're not like guitar players, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The guitar player says, hey, man, my lick is better than yours. I can do this. I can See, I can do something that you don't know how to do on the guitar. And with drummers, it's like, that's unheard of. You know, we're not in competition. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that you can do as a drummer that I'll never be able to do. And there's something that I heard you do that I just absolutely love hearing you do. And when it comes to getting that sound I'm not even going to try to attempt it I'm going to tell them to call you and you're going to be the one to do it and that's just the way it, it, it turned out um Kelton heard um some stuff that uh he thought that that would be great for and thought you know what you know what I'm going to tell Woody about she was like Woody I'm like who the hell is Woody you know and he's like uh Ronnie Wood you know from the Stones. You know, he's um, doing a solo album and uh, I think he'd benefit from having you on on the album. I, I know he's got this one song and he says, I was thinking about it. Now, who did he think who would be the guy? And he's like, ah, yeah, Alvin. And he called me and says, hey, would you be interested in doing this? He said, if so, I'll hook you up. So the next thing I know, I end up getting a call from Woody and um, at the time, he had a house out in Mendeville Canyon, uh, up in the um, Bel Air, uh, out by the uh, ocean uh, area uh, in um, Los Angeles. Uh, but uh, definitely, I, I ended up uh, out there and uh, Bobby Womack was hanging out. Uh, and had done a few songs with them, and um, so this uh, song, I—I I had no idea. I thought maybe these these tunes were demos, you know, some just for demos. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing I know, I, um, uh, R- R- Woody was calling me, telling me, "Hey, I really like the way you count the song. Like, One, two." One, two, three, four. You know, I was like going into my English accent. Fun. Right. He ends up calling the album one, two, three, four. Three f- <laughs> so that was really cool for me. You know, it's like uh, uh, the only time I've ever actually had a chance to name an album. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he's I don't think people people don't know he's uh he's actually a really talented songwriter and um it's just that you know uh he's in a band with arguably the greatest songwriting duo you know <laughs> so it's it's hard for him to get songs in but uh man I always I always even even now even today when he puts out solo stuff I'm I'm always like the day it comes out I'm 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 checking it out um so uh I know I I think I saw in an interview that um Ringo Ringo Starr is the first drummer that uh made you sit up and and sort of say like hey that's that's what I want to do um do I do I have that right Say that one more time. Ring Ringo Starr was was the was the drummer that sort of inspired you to 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 want to do this.
1: Well, um, I I love the sound uh, of the drums, and when I uh, think of drummers ind- independently, I mean, yeah, Ringo Starr definitely comes comes to mind. I mean, playing with one of the all-time greatest groups in the world. Uh, Yeah. um, I I don't particularly think that it was Ringo or necessarily specifically his style. Mm -hmm. If it would have been Andy Newmark playing with the Beatles, then it probably would have been Andy Newmark. You know what I mean? Right. But it was whoever at the time was playing with the Beatles and, you know, certainly uh, Ringo was the drummer with the Beatles. And uh, Ringo um, certainly had a lot on, uh, on, on the ball there, uh, had a lot to bring to the show. Just um, such an amazing drummer. He's just so good, strong, powerful, and solid. And that's what I like uh, about drumming. Um, you know, you hear people that think, uh, otherwise, uh, when it comes to drumming, it's about how fast you can, you know, how fast can you do your paradiddles and you know, uh, uh, triplets and quadruplets and you know how how fast you can maneuver and get around. And it it wasn't uh, about how fast you could do anything; it was just about the taste and uh, about how he did it. Uh, something in the way. Shibu. It was like, oh, I just just love the, the way that he had uh, uh, such a nice feeling. I mean, even though don't get me wrong, I love everybody's drumming style. Um, I like Buddy Rich, you know, more technical. and Jim Cooper uh, uh, was my favorite all-time drummer. But yeah, um, as far as the the first drummers that I ever saw, they weren't famous at all. They were in a marching band uh, that I saw uh, in the in the Palm Springs, uh, what they call the rodeo and the Desert Circus parade in Palm Springs. And that was before I was working at the Biltmore hotel i I saw, these drummers, um, in in I guess you would call it a, 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 a um, 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 well, they're marching in, in, in a, you know, in, in a in a row with other drummers mm-hmm. and some call it a drum line or whatever. But um, back in that day, I don't know what we, we would call it. Just some drummers drumming, you know, uh, so I, I could hear this thunderous sound way back in the distance like a mile down the road. Mm -hmm. Sound like a car trying to start up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But You know, you could just hear it way in the background. And and the closer that it got to me as I was sitting at the curbside, I'd be sitting there and I'd hear the Mm -hmm. boom, boom. And my shirt would be moving off of my body every time that those drums would hit. By the time they got right up on me, I was sitting there listening and watching the the guy with the big hat, uh, the drum major with this whistle. And I was like, "Uh yes, that's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so there was no wrinkle star involved in that. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Later on, As I began to hear music and I listened to him, I was certainly uh, always yeah, definitely inspired and encouraged by him. But my, my first uh, confirmation came from those drummers in that drum line that I uh, was sitting on the curb waiting that I could hear a mile down the road, you know, that when they finally got up on me, I was like, yeah, okay, this is an affirmation. This is definitely what I want to do for the rest of my I'm life
0: and mm-hmm. um, nothing th- oh go ahead okay go ahead no go
2: uh through through the years you know obviously everybody has their own style it brings their own uh you know twist to to, to drumming was there ever a, like an era or a time where or even just a, a song or an album that really changed the game of drumming like where everybody sort of all the drummers sort of took notice and was like, oh, things are different now. Like I look at like even like the disco era or something like that is like so drum heavy, it like kind of changes, changed things a little bit. Did you ever notice a time like a specific time where you're like, OK, this is everybody started to play differently or or is it just always a, a little evolving along the way?
1: Well, no, there, there were some definite changes uh, starting with uh, Bernard Purdy, uh, who we call Pretty Purdy Purdy. With Rocksteady uh, back in the day uh, when he was recording with uh, Cardinal Dupree and Chuck Rainey and those guys, and the stuff that he was doing was just unbelievable. Uh, Rocksteady was um, a way, uh, even um, there's uh, also uh, uh, James Gasson. Uh, you know, from the West Coast, you know, with the Gloria Gaynor "I Will Survive," and you know, and, and even uh, all the stuff with uh, Donna Summer, you know, and when that sort of drumming uh, disco era. But uh, James Gadsden, I mean, put us in the um, the disco um, disco groove long before it really got popular. So yeah. Um, I have a lot of drummers uh, that I have to look up to in that era uh, that, that have done uh, really, uh, really great in that arena. Uh, yeah. And the two that I named right then and there are, are uh, James Gaskin, Bernard Purdy. And of course, you know, uh, Steve Gadd uh, started making things a little tighter. Um, you know, we got all the boys. I can start naming a whole bunch. I can bring <laughs> in the crew, Ricky, Ricky Murata, and you know who I think you had here on yeah, this yeah, We did, yeah. yeah. Ed Green got a whole bunch of great drummers uh, that uh, I'm encouraged with uh, and and have been um, encouraged by over the years. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you ever look back on that disco era and, and wonder, like, I, I, you ever wonder, well, like, why everybody got so mad at it at, at the time? Like, when, when they were, um, like the disco sucks movement, when they're at Wrigley Field blowing up all the disco albums, you listen back now and you're like, oh, those were actually some great songs. Yeah. Some of that music
1: was fantastic. I, you know, I, I don't know what was going on. Uh, A lot of time, uh, uh, right around that era as well, they were doing a lot of uh, um, testing and taking a look at uh, trial running for, you know, uh, let's take some tape and put it together and do one. Let's do a little drum beat here and then record it. And let's not, you know, Let's program it. You know, they would they would take stuff and program uh, things. Um, that was kind of an era where, you know, it was uncharted. But at the same time, you know, people were beginning to realize that hey, this stuff, this stuff works pretty good. This is all right. This is not bad. And uh, so, uh, I had a producer tell me that. If I didn't, um, you know, know how to program, then I'm, you know, I I, I might as well forget it. Yeah, you, know, you know, I'm not complete. I was like, How can, how do I, why do I need to, you know, to, uh, to learn how to do triggers and all these, all this stuff that came with, you know, this new style of drumming, and um, yeah. Asked one producer, I said, Well, look, what's the big deal with this? He said, Well, look, Al, he said, This is this is the bottom line. He says, first of all, number one, he says, you drummers are cocky, son of a you know what <laughs> says, anytime we tell you to do something, you always want to argue, you want to fight. He says, so number one, you don't have to argue with a guy, you just program it, you tell him what to do. He says, number two, he 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 never misses a beat, you never have to go back because you've already got him programmed for doing it. You can do it in one take. You never have, go, never have to go back and do another take. Uh, he said, and the best part about it is that is that he's going to always um, uh, be on time. He's going to always be on time. You never, you know, you, you know, you, you call the session at, uh, at 2 o'clock. You don't have to wait till 2.30 for the drummer to show up. He's already here on the show. All you got to do is turn him on. Yeah. He said, the best part about it is you have to pay the one, of a, you know, <laughs> 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 you know? So, yeah. So that was the bottom line, uh, which worked for a lot of producers. Um, but I don't know if it, it, still, I'm, I'm, I'm just one of those old kind of guys, man. You just need to, that direct contact. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want you here talking to some kind of a machine that remembers who Alvin Taylor was or what Alvin Taylor did. I'd rather have my face here directly with you talking to you about this, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about George Harrison. Uh, How do, how do you, how do you end up recording with George?
1: Well, um, ultimately through Billy Preston, Mm -hmm. uh, Because, uh, you know, from working with Billy, um, of course, with uh, little Richard, when Richard uh, went on hiatus, which I couldn't, I could never pronounce the word hiatus. I used to call it a hyenas. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I remember asking Billy, I said, Billy, what what does hyenas mean? He said, well, he says, "Um, for Richard. He says it means that he's, um, you know, going to go on a vacation and take it easy a little bit. He says for you and I, it means we need to go find some work. We to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It wasn't your hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the bottom line is that uh, when uh, Richard was not available, uh Billy was introducing me to all these various different producers over at Bowtown contractors, Benjamin Barrett, BBS, Benjamin Barrett musical services and all these various different, uh, uh, producers, Frank Wilson, uh, got a whole bunch of other great, uh, guys that are gone. Norman Whitfield passed away now and, uh, great producers that I work with, um, from Various different uh, groups that they were producing. Um, later, later on, uh, there's a guy by the name of Robert Marguloff who's producing Stevie Wonder. Did the Intervisions fulfill this first finale and songs in the Key of Life and Intervisions? All those albums with Stevie. He and I became very good friends because I was doing a lot of work with him, and uh, he and Billy uh, decided to team up. And um, work with a group called the Stair Steps. They, they used to be called the Five Stair Steps. They had the hit record called Ooh, Child, Things Are Gonna mm-hmm. Get Easier. Mm-hmm. So, this is this album they were getting ready to do was um, called Second Resurrection uh, because he had been buried for a while, dead, you know, in, in the water. And uh, so we were rehearsing out of Billy's house. And George Harrison, um, I think what happened is that George had an interest in wanting to sign the band, the stair steps to his new door horse label on a um, and Records at the time uh, through uh, Herb Albert. Mm-hmm. So they came out to the studio and they were watching um, and listening to the glass. And I'm, I look up and I see this figure and I said, by God looks like george harrison you know said, <laughs> <laughs> bloody hell mate you know <laughs> you know and sure enough you know and so um i i get a message uh, from billy he comes out and says hey he says uh george likes to when you're playing drums man he says uh he wants to meet you so i said okay great so so next thing i know um met George in the control room. Uh, uh, He, matter of fact, uh, the album, The Second Resurrection, by the Stairseps, was George's favorite album. That's what he told me. That's what George told me. He said, this is my favorite album. I love this music. And based on his uh, uh, observation, of the band that day and he decided to sign the stair steps uh, for the album called second resurrection. anyway, I'm not sure what happened after that. I guess Kenny Burke, uh, got a chance to do several other albums after that. But uh, I think there was the only one album by the stair steps that they got a chance to, to release. And, uh, so anyway, uh, George had called me, somewhere we out of the clear blue after the album had been released and said, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to record an album. Um uh, I was wondering if you'd you know be interested in playing drums on it. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll be glad to. Yes, yeah, not for a year from now, but I'm trying to, you know, get things planned. I'm like, a year from now, yeah. You know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was an ungrateful old dude, you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. So um, as the first time I ever waited for a year to record an album, but finally it did come around and, uh, and George called me and made sure that uh, these people were able to make the right arrangements to fly me into Henley on Thames, and Park and uh, London's <clears throat> castle where I stayed for a couple of weeks and uh you know um, recorded
0: the 33 to third album wow that we're, we're, would you um like would you, i if i like would you call your mom once a week and thank her for letting you join little richard's band i i would have done that for the rest of my life i i would have <laughs> did did you ever look around like it's funny the way um a, a life can pivot on a single moment. Like if your mom had dug her heels in who, who know, I mean, not that, not that you wouldn't have been just as talented, but who knows, who knows what connections you would have made and and where it would have, uh, you could have been, you could have been a 30 year old bus boy bitching about that one time <laughs> that you had a chance to do something and your mom shut it down. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm so grateful. I I am truly grateful, Uh, and um, yeah, well, yeah, I have a lot to be grateful for. Yeah,
0: yeah. It sounds like it sounds like just a wild ride of a career. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of just that wild ride, you were at the first
2: taping of Saturday Night Live. Is that is that true?
1: Well, yeah, I I. I I actually played drums on, uh, in Billy Preston's band
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, we uh, were asked to do uh, Nothing from Nothing Leaves Nothing and we actually uh, did two songs uh, Fancy Lady, a song called Fancy Lady which was a, one of the newest songs off of Billy's then album that was out and Nothing from Nothing which was a number one hit all over the world. Mm-hmm.
2: And was that was that exciting then? I mean, did you know that this I not that you knew anybody would know but like was there a feeling like this is a big deal, this is a big show? Looking back now, it's like Saturday Night Live has been around for 40 you know, however many 50 years almost. It was did it feel like that then or was that just another night of playing?
1: Yeah, it's just another. Honey, if I'd have known that, you know, <laughs> let me tell you. Oh my god, you know, my ego would have completely gotten away. Honey, don't you know who I am? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, um, seriously we had no 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 one knew I mean here I am standing face to face with Chevy Chase I don't know who the hell he is. Yeah I'm talking to John Belushi I'm talking to Garrett Marsh and Gilda Ratna and all these people are just regular normal people that are you know, got their their the rooms to their dressing room, the door open, and they're just waiting to meet people. They're bored to death, you know, waiting for their time, turn to go up on stage. And this was the first time we had, had, you know, ever done this show, and no one knew that this was going to be something. We didn't know whether the show was going to take off or whether this was going to be the last we would ever be heard of, you know? Mm-hmm. So... As it turned out to be, um, man, I'm I'm totally grateful for Saturday Night Live. I'll tell you, if I never ever worked another day in my life just from the residuals alone, you know. Oh, from, I, didn't, I
2: didn't think about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, just from Saturday Night Live alone. Uh, the, the residuals, I could I could if I never sat behind the drum set and never played another note in my life. I could live comfortably for the rest of my life just off of the residuals from that show. So yeah, uh it was a great uh great thing to happen and had no idea that that would have been the case at that time. That's I am- be- That's <laughs> amazing.
0: That's- I uh, I, re- I released a comedy album a few years ago that uh Sirius picked up and I could live off those residuals if I only planned on living like another nine minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm the same way, Ken. It's like, yeah, I could I could take you both out to lunch right now. Like, <laughs> it's like, and it'd be like a nice place. It'd be a very nice place. I could take both
0: of you out to. Uh, Alvin, are, are there any, have you ever considered writing a book? Is that, has anyone ever approached you a, a, about writing a book about your life?
1: Uh, yeah, but I'm already I've already been in the planning stages of it, mm-hmm. and I'm doing it at my own. Um, I'm I'm not doing it because I'm I want to get rich and famous or want, want money from it, or I'm doing it because I really want to include uh, the lifestyle that I've lived, and I want it to be educational. I want it to be beneficial to the person who reads it, and and I, I'm not trying to write a book for entertainment, or I would have already had the book out yeah. i mean i've had every every artist you know that knows me uh i can tina turner you know billy Preston, george harrison you know leo sayer you know everybody ronnie wood hey alvin when are you gonna write a book you know elton john alvin taylor you ought to write a book you know and every each one of these artists that i get a chance to sit down and and meet and hang out with and talk with and eric burton wrote a book uh called um uh don't let me be misunderstood misunderstood, he writes about me in that book and eric's like you know what hey you know you ought to write a book and it's like that was 15 years ago you know uh 20 years ago he's talking to me about writing a book and here i am i'm still writing a book i mean it's (laughs) I said, why does it take so long? I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's things that still need to be added in my book. And as long as I'm alive, I still got writing to do.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, it's hard to sit down. Cause you, you, I mean, you know, you, you told us that you, you kept, you know, even as a young kid, you, you kept what you did pretty private. So I'm guessing, um, and, and you were saying that you never really got into self-promotion just, writing about yourself has to be a little uh, difficult for you, I
1: I would think. Fortunately, I have uh, my sister, Pearl, who's um, uh, a pretty good writer. She um, produced uh, the Rosa Parks story. Uh, uh, She's been in the television forever, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, ABC television for many, many years. And she has some experience, so she's sort of helping me with the book. And so, as long as she's not sticking a pin, saying "Hey, get going, move it, move it, move it," let's go. I guess I'm all right.
0: Well, um, oh, I got I got one more question for you, and then we'll and then we'll let you out of here. Um, so you 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 mentioned you grew you grew up on an Indian reservation. Yeah. What was what was the music like? What, what kind of music did you hear on the reservation? And and was any of that an early inspiration?
1: Well, growing up, basically, I, I just it was just all about the blues—Bobby Blue Bland, uh, Little Milton, BB mm-hmm. uh, King, uh, Albert King—and just it was just all about the blues because uh, my parents and their friends. Uh, Their associates, all that they would do is play dominoes and cards, and they'd hang out, play dominoes and cards. And I mean, we would, the kids, we'd be out in the yard and running, you know, up and down the streets and stuff while we're, you know, listening to, to them play the blues. And that's basically what I listened to growing up.
0: Okay. All right. That's
2: amazing. Yeah. And, and and I, just one last question too, if if I could jump in, is there, is there an album or even a song that you that you were on that you recorded that you think everybody needs to hear that you're like, this is the one that whether, whether it's, whether it is a big album and, you know, everybody should remember this album or something that maybe didn't get heard and, you know, didn't get the credit it deserves. Is there anything somebody should go out today and listen to and be like, this is, this is it. I'm sure it's hard to pick.
1: Well, there's one song, uh, 45, called Give Me the Love by Elton John, which I Mm -hmm. think is really awesome. And I'm like, I can't for I just don't understand why that was like not a number one, a major number one record. Mm -hmm. And then also the Stair Steps, the second Resurrection album.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Well, Alvin, thank you so much for coming. I hope you. I hope you had fun. I hope this. Uh, I, I hope it wasn't too much torture. Um, do you? I don't know. Are are you on social media? Is is there anywhere you people can find you if if they if they want to if they want to follow you or learn more?
1: Yeah, uh, you could always Google my name. That'll lead you to how to trace me down. Yeah, and I do have a Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram. Uh, um, my my handle on Instagram is Alvin Taylor Music. Uh, but I also have a Facebook, uh, just regular Alvin Taylor drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, also Alvin Taylor Music Facebook page. And so. Um, that's basically how I can be reached. Uh, there is also a uh, Alvin Taylor. Uh, where is that? Um, I, I had a webs- website, and I I decided through management to just just tear it down because I didn't really need one. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't need. Yeah, money. with social media anymore. Yeah, yeah. So social media is pretty much. Uh, mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, um, this was. Thank this you was so great. much. It's yeah. been such a thrill to talk to thank, you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, Chip, you got anything? Uh, just at Chip Chantry on Instagram, on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, how about you, Ken? Uh, yeah. Ken Krantz comic or follow the show, Rock and Roll Pod. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this was a lot of fun. Alvin, thank you. And um, we will see you next week. Hey.